Mark chapter 2, and let's see where we end up today. I've hit my timer. Let's find out. All right. Okay. So a couple of years, actually not a couple of years ago, just last year, I don't know if this has ever happened to you guys, friends of ours, really kind friends, said, hey, listen, why don't, we're going to take you out for dinner. In fact, we're going to go to a fundraiser at the Ardo House Hotel, you know, and so they took us to this fundraiser, paid for our tickets on the table, 10 people on a table, you know, so me and Tor, my, that's my wife, by the way, um, she was looking hot, we, we got all dressed up, I was looking pretty hot. So I thought, anyway, so we went off to the Ardo House Hotel, we're having this great time, you know, lovely drinks, nice glass of champers, lovely meal, and, and you know, they come round with the raffles, eh? And I thought, you know, oh, I better at least buy a couple, aren't I? So, but my mate had already bought us a whole load of raffle tickets. And I was like, how generous is this? But I thought I'd better buy a few as well, because, you know, it's the right thing to do. So dip in, I was a cheapskate put in a fiver, got a few extra raffle tickets. Anyway, so the weirdest thing happened, and we did not expect this at all. You know when they come to like do the tombola thingy and get the raffle tickets out? They were like, pink 38. And I'm like, pink? Hey, we've got pink 38. Hey, that's us! I was like, wow! So they were like, hey, wow, that's amazing. I've got one. So, you know, we toddle up and we get our little prize and take it back. I'm thinking, what is it? It's an envelope. It's like a spa day at the Ardo. As you can see, it worked. <laughs> okay, no. Somebody else. Anyway, so we got that and then they were the tombola thing and it's another pink one. And we're like, another pink one. Pink 42. I'm like, it's me again! I'm like, so I'm back up again, and I'm getting another prize. We've got these huge glass lanterns. I mean, they cost like a hundred and something odd pounds, two of them. So I'm walking around the hall like, anyone need a light? <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, brilliant. So they're going back again, and everyone's looking at us going, no, not again. Pink again! I'm thinking, pink again, 46. I'm like, that's us again! Four times. <laughs> The lady who was doing it was like, that's enough now. Table 10, that's enough. That's ridiculous. This is a fix. We never expected it. Me and Tor were like, brilliant. Listen, I don't know, but sometimes in life, you just don't know how the day's going to turn out. Often in our heads, we get up in the morning and we think, oh, it's a great new day. It's all downhill from now. Listen, we're going to look at a character who got up in the morning and his, by the end of that day, his life was utterly transformed utterly transformed let's just we're in the book of mark why don't we um turn there chapter two this guy's life inextricably changed because he had a couple of friends that meant business This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's got it all. It's got humor. It's got poignancy. It's got conflict. It's got irony. The whole lot's in the mix here. So are you ready to step into this story and actually become part of it? Okay, so listen, I'm a preacher that likes a bit of feedback. Don't throw things, but please, you know. Okay, so let's, should we read? Are you ready? Mark chapter 2, here we go. Lord, would you speak to us through this story this morning and help me to communicate what you want to communicate. Amen. It's on the screen. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. 
so many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins? God alone. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up. Sorry, he got up. He got up. He took his mat. I wonder why he took his mat with him. (laughs) I've been on that for years. It's stinking and it's horrible. You know what I mean? I've been dragged about. I think he took it home and nailed it to the wall and said, "My my life has inextricably been transformed. I'm off on one. Anyway, so that he (laughs) take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. We have never seen anything like this. Hey, we want days like this. Do we not? I don't know what your background is. I don't know what your experience of church is. But I tell you what, we want the reality of the presence of Jesus in our gatherings. You see, I'm thinking, what are the ingredients to a day like this? What needs to be present? And first and foremost, we need Jesus in the house. We need the undiluted presence of Christ himself by his Holy Spirit filling our gatherings. Do you not agree? Are we hungry for that? Because the next thing we need to have a day like this is expectation and faith. People who are coming with an expectation that Jesus can do just about anything. Faith and expectation and the presence of God in our gatherings gives us days, potential days like this. That's what I want. That's what I think City Church would like to see. We want to see more of these kind of moments in our lives and in our gatherings. You know, it's very clear. We have a role to play. These friends had a role to play. And also Jesus has a role to play. We don't need to try and be Jesus. We don't need to try and do what Jesus does. But we do have a role to play. Yeah. 
And so we're going ex- to kind of just begin to tease out some of this stuff uh, now. So let's just think a little bit about the backdrop to this little story in Mark. You know, the backdrop is this. Jesus has been on tour. You know, he's been in Capernaum. And then it says, in, 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 I think it's in verse 39 of chapter 1, it says, and Jesus went out into the area, into Galilee. It says, we've got to go now, and I need to go and preach in the other villages and towns. And it says, and as he went and preached, you know, he healed the sick, and he dealt with demons, and it was all crazy stuff. He's been on tour. And then the little uh, passage just before this one is, as he's Starting to work his way back towards Capernaum, he's out walking and a man with leprosy breaks in to the crowd. I'll tell you what, they would have legged it. The sea would have parted, you know, and he comes and Jesus says, you know, he comes to him and he says, Jesus, are you willing to heal me? And Jesus is willing. There's a whole preach on the compassion of Jesus in that moment. And he heals him. And what happens then is this. It says that now Jesus can't even enter cities and villages for the crowds. And he has to go out and stay in lonely places. You see, Jesus has just spent a whole tour going to where people are. But now people have heard what he's about and now the people are coming to him. You see, a life well lived, a life of congruity in terms of a relationship, a close intimacy with God and a connection with other people. People love that and they want to be around that. And actually, the Father in heaven loves that. And so his power will be manifest in those people's lives. And so Jesus now tries to sneak back home to Capernaum. But the word is out. And what does it say? It says that so many gathered, there was no room. Now, scholars reckon that this was probably Peter's mother-in-law's house again. You know, often, I mean, it doesn't say that in the text, but that was kind of the base. And so he's back at Peter's mother-in-law's house. And what happened last time he was at Peter's mother-in-law's house? Do we know? Do we remember? That's right. He went and he healed the mother-in-law, which is very kind to a mother-in-law, Peter's mother-in-law. <laughs> Jesus is gracious, isn't he? Anyway, so he, he heals, and then what happens? What does it say? I think it's in verse 33 of chapter 1. It says, let me get this right, the whole town gathered at the door. Well, this time, the whole town has got inside. Somebody's let him in. <laughs> and so the whole t- a crowd now is packed in this house. The curious are in the crowd, aren't they? I mean, this is just a by and by. As Mark starts to describe the crowd just very briefly, there's nobody ill in the crowd. Because last time he was there, he sorted them all out. Well, not yet anyway. But, so here's the crowd, and I reckon there's the curious amongst them. The curious have come. You know, those that are, uh, you know, what, who is this and what's he really all about? But it also says there that those who, you know, uh, who are seeking truth and those that are, maybe even the skeptics have come as well. You see, Jesus draws all sorts of people. I mean, just, you know what? Have a look around right now. 
I mean, you're a funny bunch. We're of all ages, stages in life. But are some of you curious? I bet. Are some of you hoping? I bet. Are some of us skeptical? I'm guessing. But you see, that's what Jesus does. He draws loads of different types of people. Because he wants to speak to all of us where we're right, where we're at. And so this crowd has gathered, you know. And some, it says there, and some of the religious leaders, both local and national, have come to check him out. Now, here's the thing. I, I don't know how you guys read scripture, but this is me. You see, last time he was at this house, it was all happening, and he goes off on tour. Well, word has got back to Jerusalem. 125 kilometers away. That is a week's walk. The word has reached the national spiritual leaders, and they have thought, we need to go and check this out. And they've spent a week traveling to come to Capernaum. I mean, they are like, we need to find out. They have come to search. I don't know where you're at this morning, how far you've traveled, not necessarily geographically, but in here. You're seeking. Well, I think God's got a word for you this morning. And so here they are, they've gathered. They're desperate to get the front row seats. Okay? And, and, and here's, here's the thing, guys. You see, as people are running to get the seats, this is where I love about the, the thing about the friends. You see, they've heard Jesus has come to town, and half, well, most of the town are more, wor- are more concerned about their own stuff. They want to get a front row seat and, and be there listening to Jesus and checking him out and maybe being, you know, questioning and skeptical. They're there. But the friends, no, 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 the friends are running in the opposite direction. You see that? Jesus has come. Loads of people are going for their thing. They're there going the other way, and they're going looking for their friend. They're going looking for the friend that needs Jesus. These friends are inspiring, aren't they? They're encouraging and deeply challenging to us as Christians. And so we're going to unpack this a little bit. And so here, you know, we've got these, these four friends, they run in the opposite direction to get their friend while everyone else wanted a front row seat. And, and, and no doubt, you know, they're thinking, last time Jesus was here, this guy missed out. Well, otherwise he'd have got healed, wouldn't he? And so their friend had missed out on the opportunity. And their tenacity, that, you know, that they are, and their love for the friend is this, this time They are not going to miss out. This guy is not going to miss out on a touch from God. And so they go and they pursue him. You see, guys, these guys are connected. When Jesus comes to town, they have somebody to bring. They know where he is. (laughs) Literally. Geographically, they know where to go and get him. But they also probably know where he really is. How connected are we? Do we have some people in our spheres, in, you know, of influence, at work, here, in this neighborhood, in this community? Are we connected to them? Are they our friends? Just leave that hanging. And so this paralyzed man probably spent most of his days begging 
you know, probably had other family members take him out into the streets and beg for arms. That's probably a really bad joke in there because he needs legs. It's terrible, isn't it? Just check it if you're still alive, people. But, you know, so he, he, you know, they probably, you know, his day was probably really tough. That's not living. He's existing. You know, some of you know this, that um, I grew up in India. You know, anyone seen that film recently, Lion? Yeah, it is powerful. Well, there's a moment when we're on there, the, 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 on, in, in the station in Calcutta. I've been on that platform. And on that platform, I've seen, you know, tens of crippled people, kids. I remember another time, it was in Calcutta, we were, we were um, uh, our friends, had, my mum had got really poorly. And so they, they, they said, listen, we're going to put you up. Uh, they, 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 um, they were business people at the school that we were a part of. And they said, listen, we're going to put you up. And we're going to put you up in the Tolly Gunge Country Club. I say. <laughs> Built in the height of the, uh, of the British Raj, I felt very at home. Let me put it that way. And I remember mum and dad saying, listen, we're going to a country club. I thought, wow, that's posh. I mean, you know. For us, that's like going up a level. And we're in this car, this taxi, going from the station towards this place. And as we're driving towards it, I'm looking out of the window thinking, you know, I'm 13 years old, 12 years old. And as we approach these humongous gates, and as we approach them, they started to open. And guess what? There was a family of, in abject poverty sitting at the gate. A lame man. A paralyzed man holding out his hands. And we went through those gates. And in six feet, we went from paralysis and abject poverty into complete opulence. Listen, this man, this man was paralyzed. He was existing. But their friends didn't want him to just exist. They wanted him to live. And so they go and they get him and grab hold of him. I don't know if he complained or whether he was pleased. And even did he even have a choice? You know, we've got to get you. You know, and there he is. And they grab him and on his mat. And then the four of them, you know, get into it, guys. And they're legging him towards the house, you know. And the guy's holding on for dear life to think he's going, oh, this is a nice little trip out for today. I don't know what's going on inside his head. I know this, these guys are determined to get him where he needs to be. And what, when the story unfolds, doesn't it? They bring him to the house, full of, we're going to get there. And then what do they find? The crowd. There's always a crowd in the way when you're trying to bring someone to Jesus. There's always going to be an obstacle in the way. There's always something in the way. You see, it's not faith. It's not faith until you come face to face with an obstacle. It's not faith. Because otherwise it's just easy. John Wimber said that faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Jesus commends these men for their faith. Because they're willing now to risk it all. So they arrive at the crowd. We're there at the crowd. 
And they're looking at the crowd. But you see, they are utterly convinced, aren't they? They are convinced that the person inside this house will resolve the issues of their friends. And when you're convinced, the crowd becomes less of an issue. When we're really convinced that Jesus is the answer to our stuff, to the world's stuff, and to our friend's stuff, then the crowd doesn't become insurmountable. There's a way around it, there's a way over it, there's a way through it. And so these guys, they are utterly convinced. And somebody in that four, look at, you know, I don't know how it worked, but they're looking at each other, and then some of, what, somewhere, somehow, they're looking at each other, and they're going, shall we? <laughs> and there's that crazy little glint in the eye. Well, we've come this far. You see, the thing is, you see, how many of us would stop there? You know, we've, got, we've had a great idea, haven't we? Let's go get whoever, what's it, whatever his name is, Bob, you know? Because we know he needs Jesus. We get hold of Bob and we, and we bring him to the house. And then suddenly we find there's a whole load of other stuff going on. How many of us in that moment go, hey, there'll be another time. There'll be another time. Let's not make a fuss. How many, I reckon Bob's British. So I get into this. And he's like, oh, lads. Lads, it's okay. You had a go. It was a great effort. Stiff upper lip, chaps. We'll come back tomorrow. I love that you've tried. You see? Can you see that? How many of us do this? How many of us operate like this? We, we, we have expectation, but, but the expectation is suddenly tested and checked. But there's an opportunity now to rise up in faith and take an even bigger risk. And so they gathered this guy up. Probably one of them put him on, his, on, on, his, on their back. I don't know how they did it. And they resolve to count the cost and climb upon the roof. They count the cost. You see, when you're utterly convinced, you don't care about your reputation anymore. You don't care about the cost of the roof. You're just going to climb up and dig in. <laughs> and so they do that. So all of this, guys, is going on outside. What's going on inside? They are completely oblivious to all of this. And so... Inside, it says in verse 2, Jesus is preaching the word to them. And he's speaking, no doubt, probably, of the kingdom of God. And he's unpacking the truths of the Sermon on the Mount, probably. And I, I don't know how you read it, but I read it like this. I bet he's saying something like this. Guys, the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the grace of God, the hope of God is not far from any one of you. In fact, it's about to break in. Literally. <laughs> And I love it. We're in the room. And as he's saying to the people, God hasn't forgotten you. God is coming to you. Bits of mud are starting to fall from the ceiling. Bits of stick are falling from the ceiling. And a little light. And a little face. Hello. It's there. And the kingdom of God is near you. God is about to break in. I love the imagery. And I love the timing of it all. 
And there they are, four guys with this cripple and they're lowering him now down. And it says right in front of Jesus. Wow. You see, I bet there are people in the room going, oh, that's awfully rude. (laughs) I say, that roof is going to cost. We're having, excuse me, we're having a lovely little Bible study here. What are you doing? You're breaking in. You're making a mess. Do you know what? Do you think Jesus responds like that? Absolutely not. He loves interruptions like this. It's his love language. Faith and expectation and a little bit of crazy. (laughs) It is, isn't it? It's his love language. You see, he's, you know, we serve a God who loves to interrupt our normality. He loves to break in. He loves to bring something of his kingdom and his power into our lives to transform us. And here is that moment. We see it time and time again. Wherever Jesus went, there was interruptions. You know, the start of his ministry, he goes to the synagogue and he begins to preach. And probably in the... I've got to be careful where I point here. I point over here. There's a guy in the corner and he's completely off his rocker. And he starts shouting and... You know, son of God, yeah! and he's just like possessed and oppressed, and there's an interruption. We don't need to be afraid of interruptions. And Jesus just says to that guy, Whatever it is in you, it's time to go, and a new life begun. A leper breaks into a crowd, people are legging it, going, Ah, the unclean are here! You know, Jesus, I'm willing, I love being interrupted. Get well. The Holy Spirit interrupts. He loves to interrupt. Peter, after Pentecost, in full flow, preaching to Cornelius, interrupts. And that man is suddenly, and his entire family, are interrupted by the grace and the Holy Spirit. It's an interruption. You know, a couple of years ago, and I'm going to tell this story because Tammy, I'm pretty sure you were in the room. We had a small group at Newton Hill, and we called it Holy Mischief. And I'll tell you why. Because we're having like a little Bible study, you know, and we're trying to go through this stuff. And at one point, I think we, I don't know who it was, we said, we're "We're so hungry for you, God. Holy Spirit, would you just come and mess with us? And we waited. Now, some of you know these people, but Graham McCall is our friend. And Graham is quite a together guy. And I'm watching Graham. And Graham is beginning to, we're at the dinner table, and he's beginning to slide under the table. And all we've got is Graham literally hanging on as he's being sucked down under the table. And he's starting to laugh and then cry and then laugh because the Holy Spirit is upon him. Lisa, his wife, you know, who had not long been healed of cancer, is sitting there and she's just like, oh, 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 oh. And she just like literally collapses. Emma Wooldridge, you know, some of you know Emma. Emma's very, yes. I'm, I'm quite together. I'm a speech therapist. I know, you know, and I, I can say this, I've known them for 20 years. And Emma's very together, and she's like doing something weird in the corner. My wife is, I don't know what's going on with Victoria, but she's like laughing and laughing. And then obviously Tammy. You know, she just starts. Ha, ah, ah, ha, And she's off on one. And you know what you're thinking? Are these guys lunatics? 
But we're experiencing the interruption and the power and the presence of God. Let me tell you, wouldn't you agree that something was birthed in us that night? And so we called our group Holy Mischief. Because we serve a God who likes to interrupt. So I think Jesus is totally okay with, with interruptions like this. Better land this thing, aren't I? And so Jesus then looks at the guy. I just love telling the story. And he looks at the guy. And he says a weird thing. I mean, he's come for a healing. And Jesus is saying, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. Now, in that moment, I think there's confusion. There's some conviction going on. And as Jesus speaks those words, we see there is contempt in the room and conflict. Because you see, guys, this isn't really a healing story. This is a moment where the authority and the power of the Father is suddenly arriving upon Jesus' ministry in 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 an even bigger way. Jesus, when he says that line, which is it easier to say to a paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he says to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. This is a moment of claim. You see, people thought, this man is ill because God is angry with him or with his family. They've done something, and this is judgment. And God would never heal somebody unless they've been forgiven first. So in the moment he says, so you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, this is a moment of revelation that I am, Jesus is claiming, I am not just that God is with me and that God the Father is in me, but he is and I am him. It is a moment of revelation. And see, the greatest barrier was never the crowd. The greatest barrier was never the roof. The greatest barrier to walking a life that God has for you and me is none of those things. It's our hearts. It's our internal condition. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the great writer and observer who who understood pain, He looked at the world and he said, we often see, don't we, evil and sin. And we see it in others and we see it in the world. But the problem is, it's in us too. And we desperately want to walk and we desperately want to have a full life. And we we desperately want to be the people that God has called called us to be. But we need the internal unlocking. And that only comes... When Jesus looks us in the eye and he looks through into our real condition of sinfulness and selfishness and he says, you can walk when I forgive and I touch that inside place. Conviction. I bet you at anything, as he looked at that guy, that man suddenly was convicted 
of all the stuff. Suddenly, this, this week I had to go to a funeral. And it was the funeral of um, the lady who brought me to Jesus. And we were singing this song, Amazing Grace, which many of us know. And there's a line in that song, and it just says, and it talks about when it all began. And this couple laid hands on me at 17, and suddenly in that moment, I was like that lame guy. I was experiencing the conviction and the power of God and the realization that I could not change my insides. I was living with stuff that only he could release me from. And in that moment when I said, Jesus, forgive me, I experienced an unlocking. That's what this man experienced that day. You know, we're celebrating, aren't we? 99 years ago, the laying down of arms and hoping for peace. 500 years ago, a man nailed some theses to a door and it began the Protestant church, the Reformation. It was an amazing new beginning. What is happening in Capernaum is something that is so much greater than it all. A revolution of personal forgiveness and reconciliation to God our Father in Christ. We need this. All of us need this. And so guys, just to wrap up, it was a big day. It was a big day in Capernaum. It was a big day for the lame guy. You know? Yes, he got healed. But more importantly, he experienced real personal forgiveness from God. I don't know where some of us are at this morning, but I feel like the Lord wants to say this to you. There are folks here this morning that grace is available. And today, God wants to forgive you and for you to experience an unlocking in that secret place of your life and of your heart. And maybe you've never done that before, but I'm praying right now that there is conviction maybe coming upon a number of folks. And you're going to feel it. You're going to feel a tightening. And you're gonna, this stuff is going to be suddenly highlighted and it's going to get weighty. <laughs> but it's highlighted because Jesus wants to remove it from you so you can walk. And then for some of us, this is a great story, isn't it? About friendship. Personal friendship and connection. We want to see great days like this. But it takes the people of God to be connected to community. To bring people with expectation. And to let God be God in our midst. So why don't we stand?